You're listening to Future Theater Radio with Bill and Nancy Burns, right here on the Dark Matter Radio Network and PSN Radio. Hi, everybody. It is April. What is it? 18th. 1-8. Today is tax day. No. 2016. It's tax day because Washington, D.C. on Friday, April 15th, was celebrating its own Emancipation Day when um, the slaves were freed in Washington, D.C. And that's Emancipation Day, and that is a district holiday. And so all the government offices in D.C. are closed. Hence, instead of April 15th being tax day, April 18th, today is tax day. So happy tax day, everybody. Post offices are closing in New Jersey. They've already closed in New Jersey. So there you are. We are your co-hosts, Bill. Mm -hmm. That's me and Nancy. Yeah. (laughs) And we are broadcasting on Future Theater Live from the banks of beautiful but shallow Primrose Creek in beautiful downtown Solbury Village, Pennsylvania, on Future Theater Live and the Dark Matter mm. Digital Network and PSN Radio. And our producer is Angel Espino and Amy Collins and Chris Brown is with us tonight as well. And our guest is Richard Estep, who's going to talk about haunted hospitals, but he's not going to come on till 11. So Bill, it's <laughs> we're about 40 seconds into the show and already you've blown us away with some things that we had no idea about. Amazing. You mean that's t- my that's my job. Nah. We'll see now. And Lou and Pulling Lou has out of hat. yeah. And Lou has confirmed that it's tax day. It is. Ta- it is tax day. That. Yeah. Uh, the uh, post office is in New Jersey. For anybody who has not thrown it in, uh, closed at ten o'clock. And um, careful of your. F- but here's what you can do. Here's what you can do. So here's here's a tip for everybody. Let's say that you missed the post office. What you can do is go online and pay your taxes before midnight at the IRS Gov website. Yeah, we should declare our emancipation from tax slavery. You know what I'm saying? Just saying. Unfortunately, so, I'm not going to be able to uh, make my taxes uh, early this year, so might have to pay them. Then go on li- Then then go online and file a extension. Um, a late extension. It's a guaranteed yeah. extension to August fifteenth, but you got to pay. Yeah, yeah how that's, much is that? Yeah. yeah. Well, it's you got to pay what you owe, or pay an estimate, and then if you pay an yeah, estimate, but if I get if I get paid what I owe, then what's the point of getting an extension? It make, that makes no sense. Oh, because be, oh, because it's filing. They want you to file and pay. No, so that's if crazy. you, so no, 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 they want too much no, for me. File and pay. No. That's too much. I, I think that I think that's wrong. I think you can get the extension. For what? Thirty days? No, days, you get something? an extension until August fifteenth. That's an automatic extension. And then, if you can't finish your filing by August fifteenth, then you can apply for permission to uh, uh, for an extension. Mm-hmm. But regardless, the IRS says that you really have to pay. No, for most people with jobs that have withholding, it doesn't really matter because you're not paying anything because. Um, for most people, the government simply refunds you money. So right. even if you file on August 15th, you're just going to get your refund late. Right. Mm-hmm. 
which that would be my case, really, because I am supposed to get some money back. So, right. So, I mean, you can just file for an extension. You can file for an extension. The form is online. Yeah, well, Lou you is can saying send it's it October fifteenth. Run down to Staples, fax Even it better. in before. Midnight. Yeah, Lou, you Lou fax is... it in before, uh, before midnight, um, and just say that you, uh, uh, that um, if you believe the government owes you money, which simply I do. just. Write in the extension how much you believe the government owes you. A lot. <laughs> and then you're done until, well, then you're done until August 15th. No, Lou says October 15th. I like, is it October I like 15th? Lou's, I like Lou's yeah. date better, yes. Like yeah, Lou, form, why did they, they, form they gave an extra month, Lou? No, why? It's, well, it says here Form 4868. Lou is merely It typing. is 4868 is, the, is right. the extension form, having filed multiple extensions during my long, long, long history. Mm-hmm. He, know, he knows the stuff, and, Lou. Yeah. No, I mean, besides, but Lou, why is it October and not August? I mean, used, I like it, Lou's it used, dates better, but I think I, I built Okay, well, here, here's what he says. Generally, we cannot extend the due date of your return for more than six months, October 17th. 2016 for most calendar year taxpayers. However, there may be an exception if you're living out of the country. He's pulling this right out of the. Uh, it is a six months extension, so it's October 17th. Then they've changed the tax code. Well, because they it used to be them. August. It, yeah, they keep it, on changing. It used them. to be mm-hmm. um, May, June, July, August. It used to be a four month extension. Well, I, you know, I have some interesting little teeny tiny radio news just because, and it relates to this because Keith um, himself, the Keith Rowland. Um, was also working on taxes last week, and he's finished now, and he is going to take over the music logging for at least a week. So Amy and I will be sleeping in a little bit, if if you get my drift. I mean, it's been a bit of a, a we've been doing it for now, the music logging for Way since June, well, since, no, since July, was it July 20th? That was the first day that, that Art came back, yeah. July, July. So it's so. almost a year now. No, it's not. Almost a year. It's nine it's months. April. Point. April, May, June, July. Three months, nine months, nine months. So, yeah, we're going we're gonna to have our first break. And uh, I, I personally um, am looking forward to maybe getting some sleep because I'd like to get up earlier. This is my new kind of thing. And, Amy, are you in? Are you in the are conversation? The conversation? Well, I'm here. Uh, 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 yeah. So, so, and what are you, what planning? Are you planning? Yeah, so yeah, you have so to. Somebody's radio, radio is on. on. Amy. Yeah. Amy. What's going on? Hang over on. There, Amy? You have to extinguish. extinguish you're, you're, on, your... you're on the air, Amy. You got to be professional now. Got to be ready. Mm-hmm. Dead air. And that means that Dead means. Air. No. Uh, no, of course not. It was a volu- I should have mentioned it was a volunteer job. It was a volunteer job. It was so, a volunteer so, job. but anyway, so today, <laughs> today, sad news. And I'll let uh, oh, Nancy right. run with this Chris, one. Chris mentioned Doris today. Roberts died. And Doris Roberts was uh, Raymond's mom, Ray Romano's mom, and everybody loves Raymond. She was oh, also no the yeah. She died. She was ninety. Oh man, yeah. Uh, yeah, I loved Big her. Star yeah, she there. Was, well, well mm-hmm. she played a great role. In addition to being, uh, what was it? Marie, I think, was her name. In um, yeah, everybody yep. loves Raymond. In addition to that, she was also the secretary on Remington Steel. But she was also in this wonderful, wonderful movie. I think Shirley Jones was in the movie with her. I forget who else. Called Grandma's House. One of the funniest. No, no, it's not. Is it Grandma's, Grandma's Boy? Grandma's Boy. Funny, funny movie. Yeah. Trust me, I know this movie. I, I liked her in Christmas Vacation and myself, National Lampoons. 
Oh, sure. She, she was, yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, she was married to um, my mentor at Princeton, and he was—he is what he's—he's he's since died. But his name is Bill or William Goyen, G-O-Y-E-N, and he was a great, great, great writer. I think um, he was a uh, writer of, I believe, West Texas, but one of the parts of Texas. And he sort of—he's—he's uh, he's got a very poetic way of writing, and a wonderful writer. You could not do better. And eventually he became gay or came out as gay, and that that hurt his Nancy, career a lot. I think if but, he was gay, he was always gay. Perhaps. Well, but he you was could married be gay, to but not come out. But, but he was married but to right, yeah. He had an affair with, what was the artist's name? Uh, which one? Um, In Albuquerque? Remember, uh, or Santa Fe? Liberace? No, no, no. no. Uh, uh, Liberace. <laughs> yeah, okay, right. George, what's George Liberace O'Keefe. was gay. That really through me for no 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 he's had affairs with women too but but the thing was um at his memorial and all that doris roberts i guess must have had his estate and stuff but she was very wonderful they loved each other very much and really wonderful people so she was a warm person just she she really was she She was very friendly we met her she was very sweet and um william goyen was um uh, just a very kind individual he was he was a, a very poetic writer but just kind and kind to his students. Because he, he would tell you back then that he was sort of a broken person. He had been broken on the wheel of rising, rising, rising fame. Then he declared himself as gay, and then he was kind of shunned. Right, exactly. And so when, by the time I met him, he had an, an impressive body of work, and he was well-loved among people who like good writing, and there's a tiny little audience for that. Um but not known to the to, to the bigger world. He was going to have the kind of career that Truman Capote had, and but Truman Capote didn't, you know, stop. Well, Truman Capote self, gay, yeah. uh, self-immolated at a certain point, yeah. Yeah, unfortunately. Well. And speaking of speaking of that, you know, the reason I brought up the music logging is because the whole Art Bell universe just keeps shifting, and I find it very personally disconcerting. Now it's the Heather Wade universe. Yes, that, there's that, but there's also no more Hoagie, no more Hoaglands. He's going to go favorite, away. Yeah, he's gone. He's leaving. No, he's, uh, he's, did, he's yeah. He's did not you left see yet. The photo, hold on, did you see the photo of Art in the hospital, by the way? I did. I did. What was he in the hospital for? Um, yeah. Something called colitis. Mm-hmm. Colitis? What is colitis exactly? Yeah. Bill? Colitis is, well, colitis is an <laughs> irritation. <laughs> I know. An irritation, <laughs> inflammation of the colon. Oh. And so oh. at its... Oh, that explains why he was sitting better... to the side and he wasn't really, like, laying down, you know. Maybe. Well, yeah. I don't know if that's the picture you want everybody taking. Well, yeah. I mean, well, the what word, they yeah, do, but... one of the reasons is when you have colitis and it's serious, what they do is they do a colonoscopy because what they want to find out is... What is causing the colitis? Are there polyps, little growths inside your large intestine? Uh, TMI. Um, TMI. And then they do a biopsy to see if any one of those are cancerous. So that's one of the things they look for in colitis. But if it gets severe, and I mean really severe, then they have to do a colonoscopy bag uh, in which – and they take out parts of your colon and then – you could figure out the rest. Yeah. But still, that still there's no excuse for not going it's on. The, it's painful. My, my, my father, what can cause, my father what can went cause that, that, Bill? Well, um, 
It can be caused by a number of things. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> One, it can be genetic. I mean, so if, if colitis runs in your family, then um, you have a higher predisposition. Mm-hmm. It can be caused by diet. What about nerves? It can be caused by, it can be caused by stress, hypertension is one of the factors in colitis because um, it is a tensing of all kinds of muscles. And so stress, hypertension, uh, which is high blood pressure, um, all those can cause colitis as well as food. So uh, yep. I'm sure there's a perfect uh, kind of a perfect duodenal storm that mm-hmm. can really cause all those things. And if you eat the wrong food, I knew people yep. who if they had an onion – Holy cow! Get out! Don't stand between them and the bathroom. Right. Um, yeah, well, or, most or, most of the issues that people have with their health is food related, really. The, the yeah, way. exactly. So, so there's wrong. food related. There's My father food. went through colitis and he had colon cancer. I mean, he developed the whole nine yards. He had the surgery and he's a lot better now. But uh, actually, recently we found um, he went to get some uh, studies and stuff done, blood work, and they found a spot in his liver. So that's something we're dealing with now. If Art is going through the same thing, he is probably going to end up having the same kind of like, you know, year or two that my dad had when he developed the uh, the colon cancer, and he's going to go through probably a couple of the same things my dad went through. So I feel for him. It's tough. I mean, that surgery is horrible. It is very horrible. It is. It's 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 horrible. It's ugly. The it's evasive. The, it's terrible. The convalescence. The convalescence is mm. tough too. I yeah. mean, oh, I'm sure your father had his issues with convalescence. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You are on a restricted diet. Believe me, they mm-hmm. really take care of you as far as dieting is concerned. Yeah. And there are all kinds of drugs to reduce blood pressure. You're going to be on uh, probably beta blockers to reduce mm-hmm. blood pressure. Yep. And you just hope it doesn't progress into into um, subsequent stages. So if Art, you're in the hospital and you're having colitis issues, we wish you the best and, and um, control your diet and um, try to unstress, try to do biofeedback and unstress, reduce now, your blood pressure. With this uh, news that leaked, that broke out about this issue that he's having, uh, I wonder if this, in connection to what he disclosed a couple months back or a few weeks back, about the other uh, issues with emphysema in his lungs, I wonder if these things are related and is the real reason why he left radio. I wonder too. Yeah, yeah, I wonder too. I mean, um, or, emphysema is—it's—it's it's funny. Emphysema is also in most cases environmental. Mm-hmm. Yeah, but I also smoking. Been, well, he was smoking. a smoker. For, he was a smoker for thirty, forty years. Right. I mean, that's how I my mean, mother smoking. got emphysema and yeah. lung cancer and all that. So yeah, I, mean, he's, I mean, he's on his way to lung cancer and colon cancer. From the sound it's, it's and, he st- and he still smokes to, to this day. Does no, he no, still no, smoke? I don't, I don't think, he, does, I don't think no. he smokes. No, I don't think he does. Okay. But, yeah, but, here, but here's, but here's the good like. news. Here, here's I'm telling you. Here is what I think is good news, and I'm I'm hoping this is all true. But as I began to research that diet that I started on a few years ago, um, it's a, called the keto, ketogenic diet. Whatever you know, it's the mo- paleo it's, diet. It's as it's, it's as few carbohydrates as you can possibly get away with. That's because when you learn that that the body, human body, has a desperate need for vet, vitamins, proteins, fats, minerals, zero need for carbs. So carbs basically are a delivery system for vitamins and stuff, but they are something the body has to process and get rid of. So the less carbs you give your body, the easier your body seems to have at being disease-free. 
it seems as though all these diseases of stress and the body turning on itself have a lot to do with allergies to various carbohydrate foods. So I'm just throwing that out there. So that's one really bit of good news. Well, the other problem with carbohydrate foods is that they really are overly processed. So you're also reacting to the processing. Right. But in general, once you look at um, this diet closely and you look at the stuff that you're supposed to eat, most people would just say, forget about it. I'm going to just eat that stuff. That stuff is my favorite stuff. And very quickly, you kind of lose your taste for the uh, breads and pastas and stuff. You really do. And I'm shocked to say that because I is lived on Chris, pasta. By the way, making all that noise in the background, or is that Amy? No, that's not me. Uh, I'm on mute. Crazy amount mm. of noise. Really? really? I'm not hearing anything. I don't hear anything. You hear it like bang, 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 bang. You ah. I, I heard it too. Yeah, thank God I wasn't the only one. I was, thought I was going to go crazy there. Well, okay, are you still hearing it? No. Well, I was hearing a little different kind I'm of I'm hearing something in the background now. Yeah, like a click, click, click. <laughs> I'm hearing that. That click, click, it's actually, it's actually my dryer. It's like a chair. So that's why right? I'm on you. Yeah. That's a dryer. Oh. It's the dryer. Yeah. Oh, that yeah. makes sense. Okay, so now since we have Chris on, um, I do have a question, a marijuana sure. question. And that was oh, the other okay. thing. In addition to the keto, <laughs> in addition to getting carbohydrates out of marijuana, your life. Chris. What? Question. My the other thing is, as um, as the web opens up your mind and you can learn about marijuana, you can say, "Fine, just live. You know, just bathe yourself in marijuana. Just have it all you want." Yes, please. What? And it it takes away your stress and so forth. But but here's my question: Since today today the governor signed into law, Pennsylvania Governor Tom Wolf, mm-hmm, we're legal. Um, why he didn't wait two days and do it on four twenty is beyond me. But he did it today because that, he deliberately didn't do it on oh, 420. Come on, just have a have a moment. Just you know, these people have no <laughs> senses of humor. Tom Wolf, Tom Wolf is as bland as as a two by four. Well, he signed it. Um, so, so Chris, if yes. I'm in a medical marijuana state that's legal and they haven't gotten their act together, that you can't get dispensaries. Lucian, stay alert. Why? Why Lucian? Because he and I are both going to come up with opinions on this. Well, anyway, so um, it, can I write to another – can I order medical marijuana from another legal state, and can they send it to Pennsylvania? What do you think? No, because what <laughs> happens is, is because that ends up being – well, it's actually – it becomes then yeah. the state and it's the federal way, right? there, and that's where it gets – yep, because that's where it gets – the laws get in between because then it becomes to the state to the federal law and then that's where the issue is because um, it's an interstate transfer of a federal of a federally illegal substance even though it might be legal for medical purposes in pennsylvania legal for medical purposes in new jersey legal in oregon or washington to, to to get marijuana through the mail you are now no longer under state law that's federal jurisdiction because it's um, interstate interstate transfers, mail and wire transfers, and that's illegal on a federal well, level. Also, what they call flowers is illegal. You're not supposed to smoke mar- marijuana plants, you know, green stuff. Um, <clears throat> but but the, yeah, yeah, the, right. the, meth- the methods that you do uh, that, that are legal in Pennsylvania should open up to my mind, uh, the doorway for learning about how other ways you can take marijuana. So, for example, if this stuff is so powerful and so full of health benefits, you can take it in an oil form. 
You can use it in a skin, in a lotion kind of a form. You can, but even yeah. edibles, even edibles aren't allowed in Pennsylvania. But the point is, it's almost like they're telling you in Pennsylvania, you might as well learn about it because these are the ways you'll get it in pill form. And, and I hope it's not that bad stuff, that Marinol. But we'll learn it as we go. But that was my first question. A long time ago, I had it. In, I had THC in pill form. Holy mackerel. You did? Oh, remember I told you we were clock. This was when I was a young instructor. I was a young instructor. I was young once. I was a young instructor of English at Trenton State College. Oh, those are wonderful. A long time ago in a galaxy. A long, a long time ago. Well, a long time ago. This is almost fifty years ago, and so and so yeah. So um, so a bunch of us were um, uh, one of our uh, students was really circulating this stuff so we all popped these pills and there was this peach tree and he lived in princeton and there was this peach tree in his backyard and so we all climbed the peach tree and began and we were totally stoned and we were singing partridge in a pear on the 12 days of christmas because we were all up in the tree singing and we were all first year instructors so which meant we could have been fired on the spot and suddenly the princeton township police show up shining flashlights in the trees now they knew we were stoned and then this is princeton and they knew we were stoned and they said you're making too much noise people are complaining so stay in the tree as long as you want to just stop the caterwauling and so we stopped singing and they left but you know for that moment there was like stark terror mm-hmm. uh-huh. Uh-huh. yeah 50 okay. years ago my goodness Yep. You were tripping in the tree at Trenton. For real. Yep. Climbing the peach trees and climbing the peach trees in Trenton, in, in, in Princeton. Now, but, we um, have, um, as we said before, <clears throat> our guest will not be on until 11 o'clock, but we have right. cleverly found some cool things to do until 11 o'clock. Uh-huh. And one of them is, I do have jokes, okay? Uh-oh. Oh, I do. Yeah. And so, <laughs> okay, um... Okay, tell a joke before the bottom of the hour. <laughs> okay. Because I want to hear the thud. Yeah, we've we got to go to commercial, so hit, hit us with a joke before we go yeah, to commercial. Yeah, I'll do a joke, then we'll go to commercial because that will like. I'm trying set. to find the best one. That's okay, a better this transition is... to commercial than music, so go ahead. <clears throat> yeah, this is not the best one, but this is a good one. Um, what is Mr. T's favorite month? What is uh, Mr. T's favorite month? Oh, boy. April nice. Fool's. April Fools. Look, up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's supermanhomepage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. Supermanhomepage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. Supermanhomepage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know. About the Man of Steel and more. Superman Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology. Preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit any. Anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 
954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. Imagine no longer being tied down to your computer, but having the freedom to take live talk radio with you anywhere you go. TalkStream Live introduces our first ever iPhone application. The talk shows you follow now follow you. And your iPhone is now the fastest and easiest way to stay connected to the best talk radio on the Internet. Listen to live talk shows 24 hours a day, 7 days a week. Mobile talk radio from TalkStream Live. Now available in the iTunes App Store. Mental disorders are common in the United States and internationally. An estimate 26.2% of Americans ages 18 and older suffer from some sort of mental illness. Now, this figure translates to 57.7 million people who suffer from some sort of mental breakdown. If you find yourself laying in bed hearing voices while you're trying to sleep, well, it might not be that demonic being from another dimension trying to kill you where you sleep. It might just be your mental illness starting to kick in. So if you're out of meds for the night, then I have just the thing. Come listen to my show, The Jackal's Head. You can check out our Listen Live page only on www.psn-radio.com. See you there. This ad has been paid for by The Jackal's Head and the War on Terror. War. It's fantastic. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes, that George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban feller. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Roswell, UFOs, flying saucers, alien abduction, are we alone? Information regarding this and many other questions about the unknown are only a click away at www.theufostore.com. Theufostore.com offers hundreds of DVDs about UFOs, aliens, crop circles, conspiracies, Bigfoot, suppressed science, ancient mysteries. Log on to www.theufostore.com and request a free UFO store catalog. Theufostore.com, the largest selection of UFO products on the Internet. back on Future Digital Live on PSN Radio on the Dark Matter Digital Network. And normally our guest, Richard Estep, would be joining us now, but he's not. He'll be joining us at the top of the hour at 11. So because turn he's it got a back real life. to Nancy for more jokes and hilarity on this Monday night. Right, and the she jokes She killed it on the last be... one. She killed it. Oh, I, got, I have oh, better ones. My now. sides are still hurting. Yeah. I, I gave you know that I have two, I have better ones, but um, after the jokes, Amy is going to we're going to test a little something out. She has some information, or let's just say a viewpoint on NASA that she's going to talk about. So that's after the jokes. Okay. Now here's one. I have an EpiPen, 
My friend gave it to me when he was dying. It seemed very important to him that I have it. <laughs> I love that one. Wait, I didn't get it. Yeah. You, that, that was a joke? I, yes, I have an EpiPen. I thought you were just talking to us. I'm sorry, go ahead. No, no, yeah. no. I uh, The joke. Here's the joke. I have an EpiPen. My friend gave it to me when he was dying. It seemed very important to him that I have it. And the whole point of that is the friend was giving him the EpiPen so you, he would jab it in and save the friend. Oh. It was anybody? saying like he... Uh, anybody? Uh, okay. Show of hands out there. Yeah. Okay. This one maybe is better. Here, I got one for you, Nancy. Real quick, real quick. This is a really quick one. What's the difference between a Zippo and a Hippo? What? One's really heavy and the other one's a little lighter. (laughs) (laughs) Get that? Anybody got that? All right. Okay, how about this one? I told my girlfriend, I I told my girlfriend she drew her eyebrows too high. She seemed surprised. (laughs) (laughs) That was cute, I thought. I like that one, yeah. (laughs) Why uh, why don't blind people hey, go skydiving? This? Hold on, hold on. Why don't blind people go skydiving? It scares the beep out of the dog. Yep, it scares the uh, their dog. <laughs> okay, why is uh, Helen Keller's no, one the... uh, one leg yellow? Why? I have no idea. Her dog's blind too. Okay, Ooh, I have one. And Kevin, 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 close your ears. Cold blooded. A blind guy walks into a bar, and then a chair, and a table, and a desk. <laughs> I like that one. And then here's another one. I just happen to have a couple blind ones. A blind guy goes into a store and starts twirling, swinging his dog around above his head. A worker runs up and yells, sir, can I help you? And the blind guy says, no, I'm just looking around. <laughs> I'm just looking around. You know, he's swinging. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Here's uh, a morbid one for you. I might have an open casket funeral. Remains uh-huh. to be seen. Uh-huh. Okay, I have one, too. Similar. You get, you get that? You get that? All right. Yeah, got it. How does Hitler tie his? Sh- how does Hitler tie his shoesies? <laughs> oh boy, I don't know. In, in little Nazis. <laughs> <laughs> oh, there you go. That's a good one. Yeah, that, that was good. That was good. I give you props on that one, Nancy. Yeah. Yep. So why don't wow. seagulls? Why don't seagulls fly in the bay? Because then they'd be bagels. Because that's then they'd good. be bagels. I like that. Oh, where does Frosty the Snowman keep his cash? Where? In the snowbanks. Uh huh. Well, how did the hipster burn his mouth? How did the hipster burn his mouth? He drank his coffee before it was cool. <laughs> yeah, I've won. Okay, why don't you finish up the joke so Amy can talk about NASA because uh, I got one. So, yeah. What did the fish say when he swam into the wall? What? Damn! <laughs> I was I was so bored earlier. I made a belt out of watches. A complete waste of time. <laughs> uh-huh. Yeah, that was pretty good. Yeah. Okay, so yes. Okay, so Amy, are you there? I am here. Thank you for right. for having me tonight. And well, that's good. Why don't you? Do you have any jokes, one. Amy? Okay, go ahead. No. What do you call the security guards outside of Samsung? What? The Guardians of the Galaxy. Yes, thank you. That's the, that's the best joke ever. <laughs> yeah. Uh, sorry, Amy, go ahead. Ba-boom. Okay. Um, what I really wanted to get into tonight, and most people don't know me from anybody, is 
one of my little specialties that I've been studying since I was a kid has been the space program and astronomy and, you know, all the basic set of science and everything that goes with that. And I think it's a very, very good foundation or cornerstone in deciphering and understanding many of the topics that we talk about on many of these shows. Um, it doesn't, you know, it tangential, tangentially connects. And so this isn't really going to be purely a NASA rant, though there's going to be some NASA things. And it's kind of like why we can't see the forest through the trees, because we're so inundated with all these little stories that have no no bearing, no truth to them, and they're just clogging up the works and enabling us to really understand what's going on. And it's it's almost... But anyway, I'll, let me just begin. But, but, but now you're also a fan of Hoagland, and would you say that he's helping to obscure or clarify what's going on with NASA? What do you think? Some of the things, when he gets into specific missions and specific things, some of the things he's saying are actually true. I don't know if I go into his hyperdimensional 19.5 and if I buy that. I mean, that's kind of on the back burner. But some of the sites that when he does like his image panels, well, there might be some things there that need a further look at. Mm-hmm. You know, we need, need to study a little bit closer. Right, right. And, and so that's that's where I draw the line. Is it's it's, and when he talks about specific missions, when he talks about JPL, when he talks about the very you know the various moon rockets and about Apollo eleven and all these different things, he's right on the mark. Mm-hmm. Uh, I will say that much. You know, it's like, when he talks about the little story about somebody at uh, JPL and that little tour. I, well, I think there could be something that happened there too, or. The rumor about we didn't go to the moon was actually started by somebody within NASA. Maybe. Yeah, I've heard I've heard that too. And do you, you know, that little do you, story? Yeah, and and while I've got the mic for a second, Kevin, I hope you're laughing with us because I hope that we did not offend yeah. you because Lou Lou is saying in big capitals, Kevin is listening, yep. and I think Kevin, who has lost his sight as an adult, I don't know. Maybe um, I don't mean to be offensive. Yeah, yeah. So I take those jokes. We take those jokes and we throw we them in the garbage. The jokes. Yep, we do. Yes, because um, I think of Kevin every single time I make a website page because I put, you know, alternate text in just for Kevin. So anyway, so love you, Kevin. Don't mean to me. Yeah, we do. Okay, so go, continue. Yeah, go ahead. Sorry. And I've got a wonderful blind friend up in uh, Canada, and he's one of the best remote viewers and it's kind of sounds like an oxymoron but he he knows things i mean it's oh, really yeah. amazing what what he does yeah and so <laughs> I, i'll know, never maybe dis- kevin can answer your question his for abilities me. As, as a person who's you know blind I've, I've always had this one question about the blind and it's not to be funny but how do they know when they're done in the bathroom for example what do you mean I, I hate to think what you're asking. Because of the sound. Mm-hmm. No, well, that's not what I'm talking about. I know be, what you're asking, and you know what? There will be what? no sound here. Where I'm, yeah. Well, there might be some sound in the delivery. Of course there's sound. But you, I, I on think, the delivery, I think, but you know, the I follow, think, it, it, it's a very Hank, visual thing. 
No, I, it's not. I, no, I know what you're saying, and here's the answer. All young people should know this answer because all young people now like to use baby wipes, and you can't go wrong with baby wipes. Young people just yeah, love that, those Nancy, things. Yeah, that just would smear the problem if you get what I'm saying. Well, you know, there there are techniques. Um, yeah, I'm sure you could go online <laughs> and look it up. Yeah. I'm sure that this conversation has gone off the rails. Um, <laughs> Sorry about that. And I'll continue to yeah, reel it back continue, in. Yeah, please continue, Amy, because we'd <laughs> really you. like to know about NASA. <laughs> okay, well, this one isn't specific NASA, but it refers to all the people that believe we have some kind of variation of the Earth. And by that, I mean all the stories about hollow Earth, concave Earth, flat Earth. I mean, they're they're all just like cousins of each other in the conspiracy world, and they are all very, very easy to skim right off the top and, and debunk with simple trigonometry. I mean, okay. it's something that anybody can test. They can go do, you know, the Eurostathenes well test, and they can literally have people try it out themselves and actually do the math. And it can't be a conspiracy if everybody's agreed to actually do the test. And I mean, this doesn't even get into the evidence about curvature of the Earth from airplanes or from space or from anywhere else. Well, explain so, the it, test. Explain the test. Well, it's a matter of, of when you have like a well at a, at a given site and you know what, and you can actually set up a pendulum and actually measure the angle at different points going around the surface of the Earth and compare it, and you can actually determine distances that way as well. Just by the angle and using trigonometry, it's a mathematical problem. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. It's it's in, it's in it's in almost every classical trigonometry textbook. Well, um, where where is okay? So here's the thing, Amy. Um, that in fact, this is the kind of conversation we would be having privately. But you know, it's the kind of conversation that listeners would want to hear about, and that's this. <laughs> you sent me earlier last week, I think, a link to a guy that you thought was pretty interesting. And I started to research him, and, and I sort of hit a brick wall and said, nah, I don't think so. Um, his name is Jan Irwin, I believe, correct? Jan Irwin? Yeah, with the brain, yes, yeah, his little database he made up. Yes, yes, and he's somebody that many, many listeners might already know about. But we're going to continue researching. But I, what I hit in the research about Jan was a feeling, and I wanted to say this to you, not type it in Skype, I have a feeling that you know how if a if you're going to do a space launch, you've got to get the angle just right, or you will go way off, even though you're just off by a tiny little bit when you start. You can go way off, you know. Not just not yeah. just the angle, but the speed has to be very precise. I mean, the reason, for example, on Yuri Gagarin's flight that he went up 372 miles versus 230 miles up, like they had planned, was due to 0.6 seconds. Wow! Difference of the rocket well, being cut that, off too late, and that's what I found with this fellow Jan. It seems to me that I would I would notice some place where he goes off by the tiniest little bit, mm-hmm. maybe. Uh, but he ends up at this bad place, and I think the reason he got to the bad place is number one, no matter how much you love conspiracies, mm-hmm. there isn't a grand, perfectly running conspiracy running the world. If there are conspiracies, I think they have good days and bad days, and I think there are people who are anti them, whoever they are. You know, so I don't think it's like, you know, um, 
this great um, one person running, you know, one one Illuminati running the whole thing. But the Rothschilds, Nancy, the Rothschilds. Well, that's that's he's where I was to come up. He's trying to come up, I think, with a grand unifying conspiracy, kind of like the grand unified theory. <laughs> yeah, right. It's all like together. a general theory of relativity. And, yeah, but it often, it often it involves work. getting rid of the Jews as part of its deal. I know. You know, and that's the part that mm-hmm. it's a little too fresh in um, everybody's memory. If you have family members, um, mm-hmm. the fact that people believe there was no Holocaust, um, the fact that we still are having Holocaust. I mean, people are still being wiped out. And so anytime um, you fix your, your theory on some people are better people than other people by nature of their skin color, their birth, their heritage, their this, that's craziness. And it's, and so I, th- so that's where I think this fellow has gone. And that's why I think, um, that's why I think you have to be aware. Right. And if, and if you've making, seen, uh, if you've seen that he's, doing something like that i mean that's a dangerous path to go on and i wouldn't yeah want to push that idea anywhere yeah you know, that's um but i found i found i found an interesting you know when i when i research somebody i try to go as far afield as i can and one good way is to put their name in a google and put just vs you know versus and let google fill in and that will tell you other ways to check on people who say I don't like this person. And then you can decide, you know, which which way you want to go. And I found somebody that I'd like to get on on our show. And that's one of the names I sent you as a result of that. So so I think it's a really rich, rich area of uh, research. This whole unified field thing is very interesting. So there's that. But um, there are going to be there are going to be tidbits and things he discovers with that computer program that are going to yes. be enlightening, enlightening no matter yeah. Whether he's yeah. put them together in a dangerous way or not, but it, yeah. it's a very, very, very interesting thing. And continuing onward about NASA and UFOs and other matters, on many of the old Gemini flights, Gemini 3, 4, 6, and 10, for example, you can actually go online and look in the transcripts and see where the astronauts were actually reporting sightings of of unusual blinking lights and stars and this is you know before they had a lot of satellites up there and they would actually either not report it in the mission report or when they did say they knew what it was they would say something to the matter of oh it was a satellite but you have to remember about satellites they knew even back then where they were all at and they could provide two line elements and so on and so forth it's a technical term to know exactly where a satellite is in orbit and what kind of path it is at any given time so they can actually verify that if they say where it was in the sky they saw it they can verify that it was a satellite or was something else um and then there's the the skylab ufo the one that Mm -hmm. was uh, um very very well researched by um Bruce Maccabee, he did a real good thorough paper on that, and that's highly recommended if you ever looked on his site. Um, they've seen, obviously, UFOs during the shuttle program. I think my favorite of them is STS-48. That's when they had that thing that some right. people said was even SDI, where these little things flew all around. Mm-hmm. And the other, one, the other one that they talk about with the tether experiment, I saw something that 
put some big question marks into my mind, and that's that's the one where he had that shape that looked like a Pac-Man, kind of a translucent Pac-Man shape. Right, it was like, kind of like shape. a donut uh-huh. thing, right. But what we figured out on UFO Hunters was those were dust motes. Because yep. Tether, I mean, we did an experiment filming through a mock-up of a shuttle window, and then we did another, so we had two um, special effects people. One was Brick Price, one was um, Kendall, John Tyndall, uh, actually. Um, I'd be actually kind of embarrassed if I didn't remember that that was one. I don't know, some of, those, some of those but things I was trying to like remember there. where I'd seen this, where they, it was perfectly explained in terms of optics. Exactly. Was it yeah, David, David Sarita? Was it with David Sarita, the video that he did? Oh, David Sarita, for God's sakes. We yeah. showed that these were dust motes, and that what happened was that the uh, multiple window plane glass, the multiple windows on the shuttle, A, blew it up, but also you have to, um, the, the um, cameras on the shuttle, especially on the shuttle bay, but the cameras automatically adjusted for distance. And when you over-adjust, when you over-adjust for distance, these are digital cameras, and when you over-adjust for distance, a lot of strange things happen. For example, the tether was very thin, yet the tether in the camera looks like a bolt of steel. And there are all these like dots. They're not dots. They look like flying saucers, like Pac-Man flying saucers hovering around it. That was dust. The tether had broken. These were all dust, uh, dust motes. They were not UFOs. I don't know. Some of them looked like they were pulsating very brightly, and I, I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if that holds the, up. It's the reflection of the light. Yeah, it's, it's a very, very. Uh, when you, when you look at it, that one's tough. I really, honestly think there, there's something there on that video. Uh uh-uh. uh Yeah, but wouldn't the camera also be automatically changing its um, uh, we field? We absolutely of- recreated that photograph yep. in the lab. It was simple and elegant in the solution. Right. I haven't seen the recreation, so I can't talk about that. Go on YouTube and look at the episode. It's the NASA files or something. Then the other thing is STS-48. Jack Kasher from NASA, his explanation of that, and there was a big debate between Ted Ackworth and Jack Kasher. Jack Kasher said that what happened, Ted Ackworth said that, It looked as though, from his perspective, that the object that was heading toward Earth before the thing came up looked like it stopped in space and changed direction. And so his theory was nothing stops dead in space. Doesn't happen. Just the physics of space is that you you don't stop dead in space. The way Jack Kasher explained it was that the object never, never stopped dead in space, that what you're looking at is a two-dimensional recreation of a three uh, – uh, it's a two-dimensional plane recreation mm-hmm. of a three-dimensional space. So what really happened was the object that looked like it was doing a U-turn, stopping, doing a U-turn and leaving, was really going around the surface of the Earth. So it wasn't really just doing a whole a stopping and doing a U-turn. It was actually going off into the distance. But you didn't know that from a two-dimensional perspective of a three-dimensional event. That was Jack Kasher's. I'd buy that. 
and um, if I should go on here a little bit, I have a few more of them. Go ahead. Um, about other things about about when we were talking about earlier with Hoagland and the Mars and the Moon and so on and so forth. One of the people that I happen to know, I learned it through the grapevine, Alan Stern, the New Horizons project manager, and he was actually an associate administrator for NASA at one time. He actually had an interest in lunar anomalies at one point. <laughs> and NASA even has a publication, uh, a special publication, you know, it's when they do the SP dash and a number of uh, lunar anomalies. It's Right, you can it's, find it's, it it's, online. It's, yep, and you can get it free online. It's, it's, it's as thick as a phone book if you print it out. Um and well, what, um, um, what did, does, does again, Richard? Hogan, okay, so did so did you read that? Friends, what was your biggest? What was your biggest takeaway from that? It's the R seven or something uh, NASA report on lunar anomalies. What was your biggest takeaway on that, Amy? Well, the thing where they were actually seeing various flashes and color changes dating back. Not in this century, but in the last century, in the 1880s, I believe, is when they found the 1880s, let me tell you who they cited. They cited the um, uh, New England colony minister, Cotton Mather. Cotton yeah. Mather, I'll tell you about Cotton Mather real quick. Cotton Mather was a, a Fire and brimstone. He makes Ted Cruz look more liberal than Bernie Sanders. That was <laughs> wow. That was Cotton Mather. He was a fire and brimstone priest. You, you minister. You're all going to go to hell. None of you were saved. Only 700 people are going to make it into heaven. They've already been determined. They were determined at the moment the earth was created. So don't. Or, and that, that's his preaching. Now, did he look like Grandpa Monster? Cotton Mather no. <laughs> reported that there were lights, he said lights, floating around the moon. And so NASA picked up that as one of the earliest sightings of a lunar anomaly. But, so here's Cotton Mather, this fire and brimstone priest, uh, a minister, um, ultra, ultra, ultra orthodox minister. And, but, during the Salem witch trials, now he was, Cotton Mather was there at the Salem witch trials. And in the Salem witch trials, the, uh, the real story was, these were not witches, by the way. These were little teenage brats who were, um, who were turning against their nannies because they couldn't get their 7-Eleven shakes. But um, is, this, <laughs> is this the original the, one or the This is the, the original one? Salem witch trials. Because the new one was basically that. Yeah, right. Well, the, these are the original Salem witch trials from the 17th century, but what they really were, they were an attempt by the rich folks in town to take land away from the poor folks in town. It was a land grab by the one percenters in Salem. Cotton Mather basically shut the whole thing down. He said to the ministers in Salem, this is wrong. These people aren't witches. You're torturing people. This is inhumane. Shut it down. So a person of that reasonableness is my point. Mm -hmm. Reporting lights floating over the surface of the moon, that gives a lot of credence to the credibility 
of someone like Cotton Mather. Real salt of the earth person. And, and one more thing that I wanted to throw in on the moon before I, I think we're running short here. Okay. Um, did you know that in the late 50s, early 60s, there was a program that they were exploring? They didn't have anything formally on the drawing board, but they were actually going to send nukes to the moon. And this was both on the U.S. side and uh, the Soviet side. It's called the E-4 Project. And you can actually find this on Wikipedia, and you can find how you know Congress shut it down. Carl Sagan what, for, even for had what, some kind for, of involvement. What was their reasoning? It was, it was partly an up one-upmanship, but it was also partly, I guess you would say, scientific, as in when you detonate something, what kind of waves does it make? You know, they had a little seismogram, the thing they were going to put on it and, and measure, you know, just how you know, the layers of the moon, you know, like when we have on Earth, when we have geology, you know, we have S&P waves that travel through and that you can actually see. That's how they can a- actually estimate what is in the Earth, and what density and and right. so on and so forth. But they were going to try to do the same thing with the moon by creating an artificial earthquake with a nuke. With a nuke. They, what they do, or what they wound up doing instead was they fired, um, <clears throat> they fired tungsten rods. So they didn't use a nuke, but they fired tungsten rods into the moon surface to get a seismic reading. And what they found out, what they found out when they fired those tungsten rods into the moon, someone said the moon rang like a bell. In other words, the, the seismic activity in the moon from the tungsten rods seemed to indicate that the moon was hollow. Do we have a hollow moon? Mm-hmm. And there's been... Well, well Amy, can you, um, have you ever looked, have you ever pursued that quote? Because Jim Mars, I, I believe I read it in Alien Agenda the first time. Well, there was Jim Mars, there was Harold Burton, Flying Saucers 101. Yeah, but he got it from, but, but, but that was 97, and Flying Saucers 101 was much later. Mm-hmm, true. And so... <clears throat> that might be a thing for, but Amy, how did just real quickly, how did you get so interested in not only the United States space program, but just space in general, uh, the Russian space programs also, right? Right. Oh, I've been, um, I don't know what it, what it was exactly. I think I did have some kind of little experience, but I'll, I'll do, that'd be a whole nother show in itself, but very Indeed. early on, um, you know, I, I guess I had a good mom who, brought me an astronomy book and you know when i'm like five or six years old and I, I i you know like once the space bug catches you it's one of those things that you can't look back <laughs> you're you, you're a space bug for life once once you get to a well, certain um, are you finding it easier to get english uh, american or russian or other countries information as you do research well, they've um, had quite a bit of updates in, in, the, in the Soviet Russian program where they've been releasing documents, but it's been very, very gradual, and their, and their program of declassification is much slower than the U.S. side, but you can still get ample material on both sides. Mm-hmm. Well, do you think it's true, some people believe that the whole remote viewing and psi government stuff was in response to uh, it was all a dis, uh, disinformation thing to get the Soviets to think we were doing those things, so that they would in turn spend their, you know, hard-earned money on lavish woo-woo projects. Have you ever heard that that allegation? 
I've heard the allegation. I don't necessarily buy it because, well, well, look at all the, the remote viewers that explained it. I mean, right down to what they were looking for. There's reports. I mean, you can actually bring up, um, like even the one, say, for example, of Lynn Buchanan and, and what happened at Rendlesham. It's, that report is available. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> but, I mean, I don't think there was any any attempt to... Um, do it just to get the Soviets going, and, and I mean well, they had their own programs. As well, well, that's the but that's the thing. Their programs were uh, a lot came out during the. We we've been friends with Paul Stonehill, for example, forever. Mm-hmm. Um, Great guy. <clears throat> yeah, and he's been you know, and and so we've had all of his early books and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that when the when the uh, a whole lot of new stuff was released right around the time. Uh, what ten years ago, maybe twenty years about ago? About twenty? No, about uh, t- uh, two thousand and three, two thousand and four. And that's when I think those allegations started. That it was a wild goose chase, but then, as sometimes happens, maybe some golden eggs were found. I wonder. Yeah, but then you talk to Ingo Swan, and unless Ingo Swan was lying, which he wasn't, because Harold Putoff said that Ingo Swan didn't lie. Yeah, I mean, um, we're basing our whole. Pro- I mean, the whole reason for doing this program is to find those those pins you can stick in the wall and say Ingo Swan at least is the real thing. Right. Um, exactly. And you know, Lord help us if we find out he's not. And that's that's where Amy, I think, in the in the um, in the months we've been doing the um, music logging, we've also been kind of doing research together on stuff, mm-hmm. and. Um, you would be the one, if somebody's going to find something negative, you would be the one to find it because you seem to do a whole other kind of research someplace else, a whole different, you know, I think, you know, everybody goes in different directions. And so I keep thinking about the, you know, the reason for this show, because tonight we're going to talk about ghosts and hauntings. We can't prove it, but at the same time, something weird goes on and we're trying to get to the bottom of that. I think, Mm -hmm. you know, without fooling people, and trying to say, oh, you know, I, I've got this meter and the meter says 20 and here you can buy my meter and my wishing machine mm-hmm. thing. Um, I don't know. So just Great. a rant, a rant for no Yes, time. yes. So um, what we are going to do is take a really but quick wait. break. Do you have any comments? No? Not at all. I've been talking too much. So um, we're, we're going <laughs> to take, take a break. And come back with our guest, Richard Estep, and talk about haunted hospitals. I've got a couple of haunting tales to tell. And he will um, tell us about and Also, his I don't know whether Angel has read in the bio, but our guest tonight has what he thinks is maybe the world's largest collection of Star Wars memorabilia. Oh, uh-huh. nice. So we have a little so we have, we have Angel now tugging at the bit. What do you have? What do you I'll have? I'll get the exact oh, yeah. quote. Okay, so are we going to take a break? Waiting for you to take us out. Okay, so we are your co-hosts, Bill and Nancy Burns, with Amy Collins and Chris Brown and our producer, Angel Espino, the Jackal. Taking a quick break, coming back with our guest, Richard Estep. No changing channels. Stay with us. Be right back.
Put a team of professional consultants behind your home or business computer with key information solutions, providing solutions to your internet and computing needs while keeping you on the cutting edge of technology, preventative maintenance and networking support, hardware and custom built computers. Let key information solutions be your personal tech staff for your home or office with affordable hourly, monthly, or annual rates to fit anyone's budget. Call Key Information Solutions now. 954-973-3374. That's 954-973-3374. Or visit keyinformation.com. The George Rodriguez Show. Who? I said the George Rodriguez Show. You don't know George Rodriguez? Wasn't he the guy that filled in for Neil Rogers? Yes. That George Rodriguez. What's he like? Oh, he's a short little Cuban feller. Kind of funny looking. Well, when's he on? 12 to 3, Monday, Wednesday, and Friday on SoFloRadio.com and SoFloRadio.net. The George Rodriguez Show is much more than adequate. Up in the sky. It's a bird. It's a plane. No, it's SupermanHomePage.com, the number one Superman fan site in the world. SupermanHomePage.com, covering the world of Superman from the 1930s to today. News, reviews, rumors, and reports. SupermanHomePage.com, for all your Superman comics, TV shows, movies, cartoons, radio shows, and more. Everything you ever wanted to know about the Man of Steel. And more. Superman homepage.com. Get set to be amazed at Richard Estep's stories of haunted hospitals. Richard, thanks for joining us. It's a pleasure, Bill. I love your book. Uh, I have to say, um, it is very comprehensive. New Page Books published it. It's very comprehensive. Uh, you really cover some really major cases. How did you get involved in this? Involved in paranormal investigation? The studying or? of this specific field of the paranormal, ghosts well, in I- hospitals. Well, I've uh, always had a fascination with this kind of thing ever since I was a young boy growing up. And um, while a lot of my friends were out there kicking around a soccer ball and stuff like that, I was indoors reading stories about haunted houses. And uh, I think I just naturally grew into wanting to investigate them myself. So back in the mid-90s, I hooked up with a team that did just that in the UK and uh, learned the craft of paranormal investigation. And I never really looked back. And, and did you have any experiences yourself? You know, I'd love to tell you I did, but I didn't, despite the fact that my grandparents owned um, what was at one time a very haunted house. It seems like when my uh, stepdad and uh, his brothers and sisters moved out, they took the, the ghosts with them. That sometimes happens. That was a story of um, uh, a president soon to be kicked off the $20 bill, Old Hickory, um, who... who um, who tried to exorcise the famous Bell Witch in Tennessee. And um, Andrew Jackson uh, led, a, led a, a small contingent of people, one of whom was a Ghostbuster, and they were going to exorcise the witch, and the witch actually began to harass them. <laughs> 
as they were going to Zinhite, as they were going to the Bell farm, the Bell family farm, and um, even after the old man Bell died and they broke up the farm, the witch stayed with supposedly one of the children in a new location. She actually drove Alec, um She actually drove um, Andrew Jackson away. And here's a guy who fought the Battle of New Orleans. That I did not know. I was uh, I was familiar that there are still stories today circulating about the Belwich Cave. Mm-hmm. But I did not know all of the intensive uh, back history to that case. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, what is your favorite haunted hospital case? Well, I've got a bias on this one, uh, so I should declare that. But my favorite haunted hospital case is the old Tuella Valley Hospital in uh, Utah, just outside Salt Lake City. And... Um, the reason behind that is very simple. When I first visited that, I was putting the book together. And, of course, I couldn't travel overseas to the Far East and places like that to visit those hospitals. But I could hit some of the North American ones, certainly, and the British ones. So I went to uh, wanted to go visit this old hospital. It's now a Halloween haunted house attraction. So it changed from being a hospital to a place designed to scare the pants off of people um, during the Halloween season. But uh, I went in the spring with a couple of investigators. The owners invited me down. We had a really quiet night. And I was kind of disappointed. But they showed me some of their EVP evidence and some of their photographs and said, you know, the problem here is you came off season. We're just doing construction right now. and We're building this thing. But you need to come back in six months. So, well, you know, this is kind of a long drive from Colorado, guys. Um, If I come back, I'd need to come for more than a a night or two. And they said, well, why don't you move in for a week? So Mm -hmm. I did. And I took a team of paramedics, paranormal investigators, and nurses with me, folks that were in the healthcare field and some folks that had never investigated before but were very used to um, dealing with 911 medical emergencies. And, and this mixed team of mine, we did experiments there all week long. And, and why people from the medical field in particular? Well, I'm not someone that believes in, in provocation, Nancy. I think it's it's disrespectful. But I do believe that you can sometimes stimulate activity. And the reason that this um, particular hospital is so active around Halloween is that you have over 30,000 people coming through, all of them bringing their own energy, all of them bringing a willingness to be scared. And it mm-hmm. seems that the spirits at that particular location like to oblige, and they do get involved um, in the haunted house itself. So my logic was, okay, well, let's let's take this to the next level. And uh, I borrowed, um, called in some favors from friends. I was able to borrow one of the very detailed human mannequins we used to train our paramedic students. Was able to borrow a cardiac defibrillator and uh, some expired medications, things like that. And we conducted some uh, cardiac arrest simulations right there in the old emergency room where it would have happened for real just 20 years before. We had the EMTs bring in this uh, mannequin on a backboard. Uh, We intubated him. We did CPR. We drilled uh, IVs into his bones. Uh, All those kind of things. Pushed epinephrine, adrenaline. um, Shocked him for real. You can do that with these devices. And we were trying to generate the same atmosphere that would have been uh, seen in that emergency room when it was fully functional. But doesn't that almost feel like witchcraft? I mean, if you had had a real person on the table, uh, mm-hmm. a volunteer, let's say, how would that be different from the way witches supposedly cast a spell and try to get a certain thing to happen with the other world? Isn't it almost the same thing, would you say? I- I wouldn't say so. I mean, it, it's no different than the fact that this is how we actually train our paramedics. We train them under stress right now. So we use simulated blood. We use oh. actors that can 
you know, that can scream. And the truth is, if somebody's going to get you on the worst day of your life, you need them to be able to operate under pressure. Absolutely true. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely uh, true. So, so really, I do see uh, it all about intent, and the intent mm-hmm. was never to be disrespectful. Mm-hmm. Well, what was your? Um, were you a full-time paranormal investigator, or were you, because you seem to know your EMT uh, bona fides? So, did you work on an EMT squad? I'm a, a currently today. I'm a paramedic, a chief paramedic uh, here in Colorado. So, I became an EMT in 2002. Joined mm-hmm. the fire service just after 9-11, went to paramedic school in 2009, and now, uh, apart from being a paramedic and uh, overseeing paramedics, I also am a volunteer firefighter and an instructor in various academies. Oh, okay. Good for you. Okay. Um, so so you uh, certainly know about uh, – I was a paramedic, well, an EMT myself back uh, – before they had EMTs, when you were sitting ago. in trees singing, or before what? that, after the after the tree singing incident, this would be right about the same time as the tree singing. It's after we moved to Allentown and I joined the fire department rescue squad. Uh, I, I became an instructor there because because um, it was Red Cross based, and um, having done CPR in the back of a speeding ambulance on an icy mm-hmm. road. On a 300-pound heart attack victim we yanked out of a trailer, um, I can tell you you're absolutely right about the tension mm. in trying to resuscitate a human being who's had a, um, a cardiac arrest. Yeah, absolutely. And, and again, I think so much of it comes down to intent. And um, we certainly got some interesting results. Uh, and so what had happened was that we determined that we were going to do two types of cardiac arrest. And this comes down to the fact that I'd interviewed various psychic mediums that had been through the hospital in advance. And they'd all, uh, they, they'd agreed with a, a shocking, um, uh, commonality. In other words, you can ask any five psychic mediums to look at a place and usually you'll get five variations on a theme. But they were all very, very clear on certain things. They all agreed on certain things without having spoken to one another. And, and one was about the emergency room. And they said that this was haunted by a doctor, by a physician. And his his mindset, his attitude was very much my way or the highway. You know, he was very regimented. It was his show. And if you didn't like it, you could get out. Uh, and having spoken to the owners, they said, you know, they've got a number of what, what was supposed to be compliments from customers during the haunted house. And they said, wow, when we went through the old ER, um, that, that, that guy you have playing a doctor in there, he really looked mean. He really looked like he was mad at us. And really? they, of course, don't, yeah, and they yeah. don't have the heart. They don't have the heart to say we don't, we don't have a doctor in there. Believe and, and, more the, and, more, and more than one person said that. So yeah, all the frequently. Ah. frequent visitors. And so, I conferred with my uh, my colleagues and I said, you know, I think we should do this two ways if we're going to do an experiment. So we should um, we should do a cardiac arrest that's very professionally done, just like we would do it in the field with good CPR and we'll be very calm and very respectful and those kind of things. As you'll know, Bill, having worked these calls, people don't lose it. They keep it together. They're, you know, you, you don't even raise your voice a lot of the time. Oh, exactly. Know, sure. Yeah. Yeah. We know what needs to be done and we get the job done and um, – do the best that we can and, and we stay as calm as we can and we keep a lid on our emotions. So we right. determined that we would do it that way. But first, I had wanted to test this assumption about the physician being um, very regimented and being very angry. And so I said, I think we should do the first one, a little Keystone Cops. 
And what I mean is that if, if it can go wrong, we should make it go wrong. Uh, and we should see how he deals with our incompetence. So we wired the whole place for sound. We had uh, cameras in all of the corners. We were recording. Uh, and we began our first cardiac arrest simulation. And I was playing the role of the physician. And, and I had to really act against every instinct I had. Uh, by prior agreement with the nurses and the paramedics and the EMTs, I was um, rude, overbearing, um, arrogant. I was snapping. Uh, it, this was a, a textbook presentation on how not to do it. And my nurses were deliberately um, drawing up the wrong doses of drugs. They would um, – uh, one of the IVs got pulled out. We couldn't agree on which kind of breathing tube we put in or whether it was working. And so we started to snap at one another. And again, this was all pre-agreed because um, we're all very good friends. But you could feel the atmosphere and the tension in that room beginning to build, most definitely. Uh, and at the end of it all, we pronounced the patient dead. Uh, I, in a very theatrical flourish, I threw down my stethoscope and I said, we're done. And I pushed my way out through the double doors into the lobby. Um, came back in. We had a laugh. We broke the tension, you know, just... Uh, said, okay, well, we'll see if we got any results there. We'll see if we got any EVPs. And it was at that point I realized that I left my um, radio, my walkie-talkie, down in the security center about 200 feet away down the main corridor. So I said, guys, I forgot my radio. I'm just going to go grab it. I'll be right back. And it's important to know about this place that with it being a very busy haunted house attraction, they chock the doors with wedges. They put these wedges under the doors so that, you know, it's very – it's an unsafe thing to have those things closing on people's faces. Uh, especially if it were a younger person, you know. So I walk down, grab my radio, have a quick look at the security monitors. Nothing's moving in the entire hospital. This is late at night. This is just past midnight. I come back, and I'm maybe, oh, 50 feet from the emergency room, and I jump out of my skin. There is this tremendous slam from behind me. And if ever you've had an argument with somebody where you've been so angry at them, so enraged that you slam the door as you leave, just as I had going out of the emergency room, mm -hmm. I turned around and that, that had been done to me. The, the wedge had been pulled from the door. It had oh. been thr thrown a couple of feet away. Um, and this door had been slammed forcefully, maybe two inches from my back. I felt the vibrations on me. Wow. Yeah, and of course, wow. Murphy's Law, yeah, we did not have a camera running in that corridor, but what we did have was my voice recorder was running in my pocket. And so you could hear the fear in my voice. Mm -hmm. In fact, my, my boss, Jen, who uh, was my chief at the time, she and I have worked together in a number of, um, of high-stress situations for real. And she said, you know, Richard, I've never seen you shaking like you are right now. And for a British guy, even, you're really, really pale. Do you need to take a minute? <laughs> It's true. For a British guy to be pale must be scary. Yeah, I, and honestly, I was. I've done this for 20 years, and I usually do not um, get afraid. That's not ego. It's just the nature of having done it for so long. True. Uh, and, and I was kind of trembling with the adrenaline dump, and I figured out why. Uh, usually, when I'm investigating a case like this, I'm not personally involved. I'm coming in from the outside, right, right. and I, I'm – yeah. I'm studying the activity with some degree of professional detachment. Well, in this case, it suddenly felt very targeted and personal. Yeah, yeah. And one of the nurses took me aside and she said, you know, Richard, I think what happened here is you made someone really angry with that performance in there. I don't know if it's a doc. I don't know if it's a nurse who's annoyed at the way you treated us. Um, but she said, 
I, I think that instead of having Jen or somebody else run the second cardiac arrest in the really professional way, I think you need to do it and get a little redemption back in, in their eyes. Hmm. So that's what we so ended up doing. Yeah, yeah. So what happened the second time? So the second time we ran it just as we would do it in reality. And I was very calm and comforting and reassuring and professional. Um, things were a lot smoother. You know, everything was dosed correctly. It went just as it should. And at the end of it, I, I've never felt as awkward as this, I don't think. <laughs> but I apologized to thin air. Really? And I said, yeah, I, I, which is, you've got to see it to believe it. And I said, you know, I meant no disrespect. We were simply um, playing roles that we pre-agreed. And we're healthcare providers just as you were one day. And then I amended that and said, just as you are, you know, wanting to use the wow. present tense. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I, I certainly didn't mean to, uh, to offend you or upset you. And if I have, please forgive me. And then the rest of the night was completely quiet. And you don't think this fellow has followed you around, do you? He didn't follow you home. You know, it's funny you should say that. In, in, in 20 years, two decades, I've never experienced any activity at home. Um, and, and I'm very happy that way. I don't believe it's healthy to take your work home with you no matter what you do. Mm-hmm. But um, at Christmas of this year, we started having some interesting activity at home. Uh, and it, it took a little bit of a darker turn to the point where I called in a friend of mine um, who is a priest. And despite the fact that I'm an agnostic... I said, Stephen, would you do me a favor? Would you come over and bless the house, please? Because things are, things are really starting to act up around here, and uh, I'm not a big fan of the way this is going. And ha- and you have family in the house as well? Uh, my wife is in the house, and we had our dog and our four rescue cats. Uh-huh. Okay. And did they feel anything before the priest came by? Well, I, I don't know if they felt anything, but, but, but what started it off was that my wife had woken me up in the middle of the night, and she said, there was a hooded figure standing by the bed. Oh, my. That would set me off. <laughs> yeah. Well, I said, uh, and, of course, I said, are you sure you didn't dream this? You know, it wasn't a hypnagogic or a hypnopompic um, uh, hallucination. That's the first most rational explanation. We mm-hmm. tend to see ghostly figures when we're slipping into or out of sleep. And it's often nothing more than our mind just, you know, mm-hmm. playing tricks. So she said, nope, it was there, it was short, it, was, it, was, it looked like a Jawa from Star Wars is how she described it. It was, it was maybe three or four feet high. And I said, okay, and I filed it away and I went back to sleep. Um, a couple of days later, Laura happened to be uh, upstairs in the house and she got a phone call, picked it up, nobody there. So she said, hello, hello, but she could see on the phone that there was nobody on the phone. But a female voice from downstairs in the house said, hello? And then at that instant, our dog, Greta, who liked to sit on the guest bed upstairs, she was out on official neighborhood watch. She's watching out of the window, suddenly went berserk. She jumped down from the bed and came running downstairs in full hackles up mode, ready to, ready to attack whoever was in the house. But of course, the house was empty. Wow. And, and did you say rescue cats? And what I mean by that is that we get our uh, cats from the uh, animal shelter. Right. They're all... Good. They're all yeah. They're all mutts, kind of like uh, Laura and I. You know, they uh, hmm. were a fun, dysfunctional family that believes in giving um, pets well, that need a chance at home. Well, in your bio, um, I kind of put it verbatim up on on the website. You mentioned that you have more rescue cats than I think the landlord would be happy with, um, or as many as as the law will allow. But you also mentioned. Um, and I think Angel might have stepped out. I don't know whether he's gotten back in yet. But you also mentioned that you have an extensive Star Wars collection. I and, do. 
And if Angel's oh. not back yet, we'll I'm pull. here. Yeah, and but I'm, I'm a, a Star Wars it. fan, and I'm a cat fan, and I got my cat Pinto at Pets for Felines here, and he was a cat that was a rescue kitty, and so awesome. yes, I'm a pet fan too. Yeah, I awesome. think. Um, yeah, I, I I believe um, because Amy picked that up and was mentioning that in chat because I think there must be a, a legion of people who do rescue pets. And I think, you know, it's well represented tonight among the people tonight. There must be some um, goodness in the world if you're, if you're still willing to take pets in, I think. Um, so, yeah. Yeah. From the Humane okay. Society. Yeah. Yeah. We thank you for that. We couldn't thank have a cat. The raccoons would eat it. I mean, there are so many mm. raccoons around here. I'm telling you, it's out in the country. And yeah. I so, wouldn't yeah. dare bring a kitten out here. So, so what happened after after at around Christmas time? What happened after the prayer? Well, well, I, I should t- tell you there were a couple of other incidents because at this point I'm still kind of writing things off. Uh, I was a little bit in denial, to tell you the truth, which medical professionals are very good at when it comes to themselves. Mm-hmm. You know, um, especially males, we're the great deniers. We're the we're the ones that will have chest pain and write it off as just being indigestion. Of course. So I, yeah. So I, so I'd kind of written it off, and then um, my wife called me one night while I was at work, and she was in. Uh, she was a little bit concerned. We had a stack of picture frames we were ra- waiting to put up on the wall. Uh, there were ten of them sitting on top of our fireplace, and then they had just been pushed off. All of them fell to the ground, glass cracked, wow. uh, and and nearly landed on one of our cats, which made me pretty angry and upset. He was sleeping beneath the fireplace, but he didn't use one of his nine lives that night. He was able to bolt out of the way before they hit the ground. So that, wow. that re- yeah, that really did it. And so I called my friend, um, Father Stephen Wiedner. Uh, he's he's an, my on-call go-to um, priest. He came over. Uh, he did a blessing of the house, all of the rooms, holy water, the, the whole nine yards. You know, And I said, Stephen, is it okay that I'm not a a card-carrying mm-hmm. Christian, is it okay that I'm an agnostic? And he said, you know, again, it's all about the intent. Mm-hmm. And so we're going to bless the house, and, and we're going to let any spirits that may have come back with you this year, we're going to let them know that they have to move on, that they're not welcome. And so after that, it was incredibly calm for about a month. And it mm-hmm. remains calm to this day, but there was one caveat here. And I was kind of thinking things sounded a little bit sinister, the, the stuff that I've just told you. But in mm-hmm. January, I flew to the UK with Stephen as it happened. We were going to spend a week locked in um, Britain's oldest witch's prison. We're looking oh, at this, wow. this, yeah, this 600-year-old building that we just couldn't pass up that opportunity. And oh. while I was there, my dog Greta, who'd been sick for a long time, um, she had to be put down because she went into kidney failure, which we'd been anticipating for a while. Mm-hmm. And so she had her last day, uh, and I'd been gone for a couple of days already. I kissed her goodbye and told her I loved her and had gone to the UK, and I just knew that I wouldn't see her again. She had to be put down, put to sleep. And Greta's thing was when she wasn't um, upstairs looking out at the neighborhood, she liked to stand in my office, which is at the front of the house on the ground floor, and she liked to look out of the window and watch the world go by too. And so in order to do that, Laura and I would always bring the blinds up to just above the level of Greta's head, which was about three feet high off the ground. Mm-hmm. And so the night she died, Laura called me from uh, from England. We were both upset. You know, we shared some tears. And she said, I'm putting the blinds down. This is the I'll never need to put them up again. I'm yeah, so sad. Yeah. It breaks my heart. So she put them down, went to bed, right. um, got up the next morning. 
and the blinds were three feet high. Wow. Yikes. Yikes. Yeah. Uh. Right. You know, um, you're talking about spirits and dogs, and one of the great presidential ghost stories circulates around Franklin Delano Roosevelt's dog, Fella. And everybody knows that FDR had a mistress in Georgia. Uh, he was married to Eleanor, but he also had a, had a mistress. And uh, he was in, this is on the day he died. He was in, um, he was in Georgia and he was with his dog, Fella. And he actually died, was in a chair on the couch. And the dog started really acting up as soon as FDR died. And then suddenly the dog leaped off the couch and was following something across the room and really sat there fixated on the ceiling and one of the pieces of lore surrounding FDR's death this would have been in in, uh, in um, I think April 1945 uh, one of the uh, uh, pieces of lore surrounding his death was that Fela or Fela actually saw Roosevelt's spirit leaving his body and followed that spirit as it left hmm. Well, there are there are many instances in which animals, of course, uh, seem to be so much more perceptive than we than we are ourselves. I think anybody that's ever owned one um, has some kind of story that involves them looking at things that aren't there or seeming to follow things around the house that uh, that we can't see. What um, What do you think is the most haunted hospital that you've ever been in? That I've ever been in would be the one I just told you about. In, in Salt Utah. Lakes, in Utah. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. And the, the reason for that is threefold. It's not only the haunted house attraction that I told you about, but it's also it neighbors the town cemetery. So, oh, yeah. Which you, you couldn't make it up, right? Hollywood would have a great time with that. But but literally, you you could throw a stone, or you wouldn't, and, and hit the cemetery. They're right next door. But mm-hmm. at the back of this building, it's, it's joined to um, another building, and it's a nursing home. So it is an active, still still in operation nursing home for senior citizens. Although uh, they're relocating those next year and, and the uh, the hospital is going to be one building again. But for now, you have um, uh, a bunch of folks in permanent residence living at the back part of the building. You have the haunted house attraction at the front. You have the cemetery to the side. Do the folks in the nursing home report any incidents? Uh, indeed they do and in fact if you, I don't know if you see the show Ghost Adventures but um, mm-hmm. in either the fourth or fifth season they actually spent a lockdown at this place and interviewed some residents of the nursing home uh, I'm sorry some of the workers of the nursing home the nursing staff and they had a number of stories to uh, to impart about their own experiences there mm-hmm. one of the points that you make uh, in the book is that um, which I find interesting and i have another story that corroborates it but one of the points you make in the book is that you believe that or or people have told you but i know you believe it that it is the intense regimen of a hospital not just that there are people who die there there are people who go through all kinds of um spiritual and uh, psychic trauma there but that the the people who work there themselves are under such intense pressure that even after they die, whatever cohesiveness kept them together during life keeps their spirits together um, after life. Mm. And that's why they manifest. 
Well, and, and I also think that uh, when you look at the kind of person that's attracted to the healthcare field, um, at all levels, whether it's the person that um, walks around and cleans the rooms or whether it's the highest level surgeon, generally speaking, these are people who are um, psychologically wired to be helpers, you know, much like those that mm -hmm. are attracted to the emergency services. These right. are the people that like to make life better for others, like mm -hmm. to give comfort, hold a hand. And I suspect that that, that doesn't just go away when you move on from this physical life. I think that... Um, the desire to help stays a little bit, and I think that a number of them are drawn to the place where they used to provide that service. Okay, so now we get to the philosophical question. What do you think these, because you've had your own incidents, mm -hmm. what do you think these entities are composed of? Well, I think that we're looking at a spectrum. When you and I say, uh, we, we use a term like ghost or haunting or haunted, um, we use it to, to mean essentially spirits of the dead, right? That's kind of the common usage or understanding that we have. But I think it's much broader than that. Um, and, and this might seem a bad taste analogy, and it really isn't. Uh, cancer. We say cancer and we think it's one specific disease when it isn't. It's an umbrella term that we use for a whole bunch of pathologies um, that are similar and yet different in scope. And so when we say hauntings, I think you've got at one end of the spectrum – you have the residual haunting, you know, where it's no more intelligent, it's no more active than the picture on my TV screen. If I throw in a DVD or a Blu-ray and I'm watching actors on the screen, they're not actually there, right? This mm -hmm. is not a living thing. This is a recording process that can be played back under the correct circumstances. And I think we see a great deal of that with residual hauntings. These are the apparitions that don't seem to be aware of their surroundings, that don't seem to be aware of living witnesses, that walk through walls. But, that they sometimes, all, but, they, but they're sort of stuck to a place, correct? Well, well they're, they're stuck to a place in the same way that uh, Russell Crowe on my TV screen in Gladiator is is stuck you know stuck yeah, yeah, okay, yeah. And, and it can be switched on and switched off i think it's a natural recording process that we don't yet understand the physics behind it Interesting. um yeah okay. and then at the other end we have the fully interactive um entities that will communicate that will answer questions directly and will sometimes get involved in the material world by moving objects scratching people pushing mm -hmm. shoving making noises well is there also a spectrum do you think uh, for the person like yourself, the person who's begun to explore this, do you feel that when you started, you had a certain amount of sensitivity, but that it's in fact increasing so that the more sensitivity you have, the more likely you are to recognize things like this? Is that happening with you? It's an interesting perspective. I don't know that I'm getting more sensitive. Um, but a number of people have said, and this is now a truism in the paranormal research profession, that when you become interested in the paranormal, the paranormal becomes interested in you in return. And Bill, uh, as a UFO expert, I think they do say that about ufology, don't they? <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, that, uh, that's a common thread that the more you look, the easier you'll find. Let's put it that way. Yeah, absolutely. So I don't know if it involves sensitivity, Nancy, although that may be the case. But certainly the more I do this... Um, the more activity seems to occur. And the year last year, in the run-up to Christmas, when we had the interesting incidents at home, 
I'd visited a number of uh, sites from my bucket list, some of the world's most haunted locations. Mm. Not just Asylum 49 in Tuella, but I'd been to Waverly Hill Sanatorium in Kentucky, and I'd been to Bobby Mackey's Music World also in Wilder, which is well-known as, as one of the most um, haunted buildings in the USA. So, and, and things had started happening towards the end of um, that year and have, have started this year too. One interesting case last year was I spent a night uh, for charity, I hasten to add, in jail. Uh, I was invited by a paranormal investigator called Colton Tapia to be part of the charity investigation up in Cripple Creek, an old mining camp. I've, I've, been to, I've been there. I've been to Cripple oh. Creek. Oh, yeah. that's in Colorado. Sure. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. lovely, isn't it? It's beautiful. Yeah, yeah. And, and well, so I was the there ju- in in '67, and so that was a long time ago. But it was still Cripple Creek. It was well, it's a be- it's yeah. a beautiful town. It's it's got great character, and the jail there is the original jail. So if you go into the cells, you can see graffiti that is just a hundred years old. And what they've done is they've turned it into a museum. Um, and so we'd had some. We'd gone in there. We were investigating. We were looking around. Um. I decided that I wanted to be in one of the cells and one of my fellow investigators, she was on the door so I couldn't get out. There was no way I could physically get out. Uh, another gentleman on our team, an investigator by the name of Sean Crusher, is walking up to the second floor cell block where we are. We're above the ground. We're on the second floor. And I hear his footsteps come down the line of cells and then he turns into our doorway. He sees me and he turns white and he said, how did you get back in there? said, Sean, what do you mean? I've been in here for half an hour. I have a witness on the door. I have a guard. And he said, no, 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 no. I just came upstairs. You were standing outside there with a camera taking photographs. Hmm. I said, mate, I'm telling you, it's not physically possible for me to have gotten back in this cell. So Sean's wow. a pretty calm guy. And I, I wouldn't say he was agitated, but he was definitely a little shaken. Hmm. Um, and so we got him to describe what he saw and to write it down. And one thing that was fascinating was he said, you know, it was you. I recognize you. I know what you look like. I wasn't mistaken. Richard, this was you. But there was one thing different. You were wearing a different type of shirt. And I was wearing, for real, the blue shirt that you see in my uh, author, author photograph. Right. Uh, and he, he said, no, no, no. This was different color. It was a different type. Um, this was a lighter color shirt. He said, other than that, you were, you were wearing everything else that you are tonight. Um, beige BTUs, brown shoes, belt had a camera but but you had a different colored shirt do you what color was okay what color was the shirt he saw you wearing i want to say it was a uh cream colored or a lighter brown but i'd have to check to get do you you, please do i'll tell you why ask him to describe the color and if you are still in contact with him take a photograph Mm -hmm. of any shirt you have that is close to that this is going to sound macabre, but take a photograph of any shirt that's close to that and then ask him if that's the shirt he saw you wearing. Well, I'll, I'll in do the that. Apparition. I'll do that. And there's an interesting coda to this, Bill, because uh, this weekend originally we were supposed to go back to Cripple Creek on Saturday night. We didn't because Colorado got pounded with a major snowstorm. Yes, I heard. Yeah, so we've postponed and we're going back on the 30th, two weeks from now. And so I, I've been thinking about asking Sean specifically if any of my shirts match what he saw. Because if they do, and if I wear that shirt, and if I happen to be taking photographs, I mean, mm-hmm, what we're exactly. really talking about then is a time slip, aren't we? Absolutely. You're t- that's my thought. On the good side, 
you're talking about a time slip. On the bad side, Very you're bad. talking about something else. <laughs> yeah. Think We're about talking it. about a, do- a doppelganger or something imitating. Worse. No. Worse. 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 <clears throat> Worse, yeah. Okay, now that I can't I can't just let that hang. What would you say the worst would be? He it it is a time slip, but in the time he's looking at don't yeah, I wouldn't say it even. You're already dead. Mm. As in I would be an apparition of myself. Correct. Yeah. yeah. That's why I would say I would t- I would not wear the, I would not, I would wear, not wear that shirt. If Any I shirt that I would wear a completely opposite. I would wear I would wear a polka dot shirt with a striped tie. Okay, interesting. Now, is, isn't it equally possible, devil's advocate, that what we're looking at is some uh, uh, not visitation, but some interaction with an, an alternate universe, where you know we're all familiar with the alternate universe theories, the infinite branches, and so forth. Where I happened to be investigating Cripple Creek also that night, absolutely. but I just More, made a different wardrobe choice. Absolutely. Absolutely, uh, that could be the truth. That you basically, in the bubble universe, two planes have slid along each other, and they're slightly out of sync. And so what your friend is really seeing is you in that bubble universe standing there, when in fact in this universe, you are in a jail cell. <clears throat> also, do you think do you think as a member of the helping profession in real life, do you think that you're able to perform any kind of helping function by doing this kind of work for either side? Um I'm I think that a large part of the paranormal investigator's job is to provide comfort and counsel. And so when we do help cases, firstly I always prioritize help cases um, over just checking out a, a cool haunted building for the evening because mm-hmm. people have a fundamental right not to be afraid in their own home. Uh, and, and over the course of my career, I've seen too many people who are afraid to sleep in their own house. Uh, and that goes double when children are involved. Oh, you know? sure. Yeah, and so it can be particularly frightening. And, and I'm a big um, proponent of counseling those folks, of, of staying in touch with them and saying, you know, you, you really have nothing to be afraid of in your own home. Right, but yet, but yet, but yet, you turn to a religious person when it was your own home. So, do you do you think that we're talking about the age-old fight between good and evil, and you have to take a stand? I guess well, maybe. Well, well, to address that, firstly, um, when I say you have nothing to be afraid of in your own home, I always make a point of finding out what the the, the client's faith is. And if we can engage with um, a suitable holy person from that faith, I will do that. I have a number of right, them right, right. Uh, that, that are willing to help. And we do offer – we do bring them in and, and uh, offer the appropriate service, even non-denominational stuff, uh, you know, just basic blessings, those kind of things. So I'm, I'm very willing to do that. Now, yeah. here's my thought. My thought on the age-old fight is this. For the most part, when it comes down to the course of my life, the genuine acts of what I would call evil – that I've seen have been committed by flesh and blood people. Mm -hmm, Um, I do wonder how much when we're dealing with paranormal activity, how much of it is us either misinterpreting or not being able to correctly interpret the intentions of entities that are simply trying to make their presence felt. Mm -hmm. And I mean, I get that there are those in which, um, you see scratches. This happened to one of my investigators in uh, Utah. In fact, her first case, she had a series of three long scratches that ran down her back. Mm -hmm. Uh, 
after a particularly uh, aggressive entity's voice came through on the spirit box. Um, so I do think that there are entities out there that are belligerent, aggressive, and violent. Does that make them evil? I think no more so than they would be in the flesh. Well, they could be angry. I mean, by just because of the nature of how they died, there, uh, there are two stories. One uh, comes out of Indiana. Um, one of the sheriff's deputies we worked with on UFO Hunters was, is a historian. And so he was investigating a case of treason um, in northern Indiana during the War of 1812. During the War of 1812 against the British, we were fighting the Canadians um, in northern Indiana. And uh, there was uh, an American fort. I, I think it's Fort Wayne. And uh, the captain of that particular fort was a drunkard. He was late. He was a slug about. He was a drunkard. He didn't really. He didn't really defend the fort the way he was supposed to. And in the War of eighteen twelve, as in the the Revolutionary War, um, same with the French and Indian War, the the the, uh, the British and the Americans would basically align themselves with the various Native American, the local Native American tribes. And so this particular lieutenant who was furious at his captain because he thought that Fort Wayne would be under siege, um, tried, knew that there was one local tribe that was going to attack the fort with, with the British and the Canadians. The British had a contingent. And so the captain would not move. He would not take steps to defend the fort. And so this lieutenant started a mutiny and threw the captain in the brig, defended the fort. But after the battle was over, the captain reassumed command. He threw the lieutenant in the brig, and the lieutenant was court-martialed and sentenced to prison. And so this sheriff was going out to right a wrong. He was going out to get the true history. So he's visiting the fort, and he's visiting the brig in that fort, he said he saw a ghost of that lieutenant, and the lieutenant was so angry at him that he began throwing things at him across the prison cell. I trusted this sheriff. Of course, this was a UFO story was wrapped around this, but this was an incredible story. The other story about an angry ghost took place in the UK. We were at this carvery, and um, this manager of the carvery at, at, the, at a what carvery it's called a carvery it's 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 a well you know what it is richard it's a british oh, pub yes. oh, but yes. they're serving but they're fabulous food mm-hmm. and in britain that's an anomaly but anyway um the, the cutting off you know s- steamer anyway it was a a really fabulous night and we were talking about ufos and we're having dinner at this carvery and so the manager the barkeep a woman who, who had her two daughters there says, well, you know, I had a UFO sighting when I was coming here. Not that night, but so we talked to her on, you know, we talked to her on camera. We didn't use it in the show. We talked to her again, and she talks about this, this UFO that basically was hovering above the um, hood of her car as she was driving, the bonnet of her car she's driving. 
And so I asked her, were you frightened? And she said, after the ghost in the basement down here, are you kidding? I wasn't frightened at all. So everybody on the crew says, like in unison, what ghost? And she says that in the coal bin, this was, this was an old 15th century building. She says, in the coal bin of this place, I, I, I want to say this was near Leeds. Okay. She said, in the coal bin, there was a, um, a cavalier. And he was fighting for King Charles. And a bunch of roundhead soldiers, a bunch of Cromwell soldiers, found him in the basement, found him in the coal bin, and killed him. And to this day, if you go in that coal bin, he will throw lumps of coal at you. I could not get my crew to go down to that coal bin and film down there to try and see if the ghost would throw coal, uh, coal nuggets at us. They were Listen, scared. mate, we, we signed on for UFOs, mate. Nothing about the ghosts, okay? Exactly. It's not in the contract. Exactly. They said, no, no, no. You show an alien, we're in. You show a ghost, we're out of here. <laughs> well, and, and what impresses me about um, the caliber of witnesses, when it's law enforcement, when it is physicians, when it's nurses, we're looking at people, and airline pilots too, for that matter, we're looking at people who are trained observers. It's part of their profession, isn't it? Right, the and they know how to be calm under pressure, yeah. so they're not going crazy under a stressful situation and just kind of imagining stuff. They don't do that. Right, and they're detail-oriented. And the other thing about all of those professions is they're prone to ridicule if they tell these kind of stories openly. Oh, right. And, and yet they have the courage to step forward well, and is do that so. Still, is that still true? Are you finding that as you interview health professionals? Are you still hearing that, that it, there's some taboo about this? Well... I actually have some sympathy in this case because when it comes to hospitals specifically, look at other types of buildings, you know. Uh, having been to the UK, Bill, haunted pubs are a dime a dozen. And oh, I mean that sure. a good way. Yeah, every pub has its ghost story, you know. Oh, uh, and it adds to it. the character. Yeah, adds to the history, adds to the warmth. But a hospital is a place of healing. It's a place of um, tranquility and repose and recuperation. So I can see why so many hospital administrators do not want their ghost stories getting out. It quite simply is bad for, I don't want to say business, but it is. It is bad for business. That's exactly yeah. what it is. I mean, who, 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 in your experience, who was the most, would you say, credible um, uh, celebrity witness that you've ever spoken to about seeing a ghost? Well, I don't know that I've spoken to celebrity witnesses that weren't in the field. Um, but in terms of uh, haunted hospitals, I spoke to a friend of mine who is um, a, a, a very qualified physician, an expert in oncology. You know, this, this, this is someone that deals with the business of cancer on a daily basis. And she's very science-oriented. She's facts and figures. And what are the facts to how many decimal places – and she um, told me about her encounter with the Grey Lady at St. Thomas's Hospital, which is one of London's oldest hospitals on the banks of Thames. It faces mm -hmm. the Houses of Parliament. Um, and they believe that the Grey Lady, who has been seen by generations of staff at St. Thomas's, uh, is the ghost of Florence Nightingale. Wow. Hmm. That's interesting. Here's, wow. Okay, here, okay, here's mine. Winston Churchill. Uh, during World War II, Winston Churchill was staying at the White House. FDR was the president. He was staying at the White House. This was um, 
before Pearl Harbor. This would have been in 1940 or or earlier in 41. And they were discussing Lend-Lease, the the convoys going across the Atlantic. And Churchill was staying in the Lincoln bedroom. There's this book that I wrote with Joe Martin called um, The Haunting of the President. And the most haunted house in the United States is the White House. And so they're staying in the Lincoln bedroom. And Churchill said that he smelled cigar smoke and he wasn't smoking. Mm -hmm. And he opens the door. And there in the hallway is Abraham Lincoln. And Churchill was so furious, no stranger to ghosts, Churchill was so furious that, that, that FDR put him in a bedroom with a ghost that he told FDR the next morning, I never want to be in the Lincoln bedroom again. And I'm wondering, because so many other people saw Lincoln's ghost. When Julie Nixon Eisenhower was on the Colbert show, um, back when it was the da- um, right after the Daily Show on Comedy Channel, she was talking about ghosts in the White House. Uh, Harry Truman, in his diary in 1947, didn't write about Roswell. He wrote about the ghost of Abraham Lincoln and uh, James Buchanan and Franklin Pierce, all in the White House. Um, Eisenhower and Truman both saw Lincoln's ghost in the White House. In fact, Lincoln's ghost in the White House pointed Eisenhower to where the White House was in a state of collapse and the first family had to move out of the White House while the engineers shored up the building. So, I mean, this was, there are really some incredible stories about hauntings. Well, and, and let me ask you this, because you're probably the man to speak to this, Bill, but correct me if I'm wrong, but aren't there many, uh, or certainly a number of instances of Secret Service personnel witnessing Lincoln's ghost in the White House. Oh, absolutely. In fact, in fact, um, the, the funny thing about Lincoln's ghost is that, is that I, um, Washington also became a ghost, but his ghost manifested itself at the Battle of Gettysburg. Because, and this was attested to by someone who became the governor of Maine and the president of Bowdoin College. There was... There was a there was a a, a contingent of of um, Union infantry, the uh, the main volunteers that were ordered to hold this hill called Little Round Top, mm-hmm. and they were going in the wrong direction. And suddenly they saw this person on a white horse, in rev- in a three cornered hat, holding a sword, pointing in another direction. They followed that ghost. They found the hill. They were. Out of ammunition. This was when one of Pick, the elements from Pickett's cavalry charge, they were attacking the hill. It was a Confederate um, unit, and the main volunteers ran out of ammunition, and they were going to be slaughtered or they were going to surrender. Suddenly, this figure on a white horse reappeared. A just pointed charge down the hill. The main volunteers were either so frightened or so enthused that they charged into the teeth of the Confederacy. They wiped out this element from Pickett, and the Confederate soldiers who managed to escape with their lives said, we're never going to fight these guys again. The commander of that regiment, who became the governor of Maine, he in the Army 
uh, in the after action report, this is part of the army records, said that his men were, 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 were inspired by a revolutionary war figure on a white horse leading him down Little Round Top. And that was the Battle of Little Round Top. And who was Chamberlain in again war. in this scenario? Go ahead, Richard. You had mentioned- so Joshua Lawrence Chamberlain commanded the 20th Maine and was, I believe, one of the, the U.S. Army's most decorated soldiers ever, particularly for his defense and subsequent counterattack on the little, uh, from Little Round Top. Right, and then went on to be the go- the president of Bowdoin College and the governor of Maine, and he's the guy, Chamberlain, who filed that report. You're absolutely right. Wow. Incredible well, um, stories. As, as, as we're running out of time, and, and one of the questions on your PR, um, your PR person, um, the Warwick Agency, yeah, is just fabulous. Cater Simon. Yeah. I always like working with them, but the question talks about um, 10% of your profits from the book are being donated to the St. Baldrick's Foundation. Oh yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for bringing that up, Nancy. So, the St. Baldrick's Foundation um, is a wonderful charity, and what they do is they support uh, research into childhood cancer and they support treatment of children that that are suffering from cancer. So, they're leading the fight against childhood cancer on multiple fronts. Uh, and the the way that they do this, the way people show solidarity is this is a, a charity I learned about at my firehouse. Um, so every year. Uh, we go bold, we shave our heads um, oh, wow. in order to show solidarity with children because, you know, that they, they can be very – any patient of any age can be very conscious of having to go bold with chemotherapy and radiotherapy. Uh, yeah. and so it's a way to, to raise money, you know, sponsored head shaving, and it's a way to um, show solidarity with those children. So uh, 10% of my royalties from the world's most sponsored hospitals will be donated directly to the St. Paul. And when do, you shave your head again? So we actually tend to do it earlier in the year. Uh, my fire department has a team uh, called the Boulder, B-A-L-D-E-R, Rural Fire Department. It's a play on our name because we're in Boulder, Colorado. Mm-hmm. So it usually happens earlier in the year. But you'll find that St. Baldrick's is doing these events nationally every month. Ah, okay. I think Dr. J might have been doing that at one point. I'm not sure. Maybe it was a rerun. I heard him talking about it. And, um, to, uh, you know, our producer Angel is totally bald. And I believe he shaves his head. And, I do, uh, and I am. You see that? And my husband, Bill, is he has a few little sprouts up there, and he cries about it all the time. because his uh, I don't got much hair either. So do I. I, got, I, I cry got on a daily basis, Nancy. Yeah, I mean, Bill's ears are hairier than his, the top of his head, which is You'll really sad. Yeah. We don't really have to go into that. Yeah. For real, Nancy. Well, yeah. yeah. Since well, we, I'm on bummer. camera tomorrow, that's right. There's a haircut coming oh, out. Bill, yeah, yeah. Now, Bill, uh, yeah, <laughs> Bill is going to be uh, filming tomorrow. Pretty exciting for PBS, the not Pony Boy Sunset, our PBS friend, but PBS, the network. So it's American it. Masters. It's the um, story yeah, of Hedy Lamar, and yeah. oh, yeah, because Hedy Lamar was a spy. Uh, she was a brilliant inventor. She was almost like. Uh, she was a radar inventor, wasn't she? No. Well, what Hedy Lamar invented uh, was a device that would uh, change frequency in radio transmission. This was during World War II, so the Nazis couldn't pick up radio transmission. So she was basically doing an encryption of radio transmission so that the receiver would have the key, 
the transmitter would have the key and they would switch frequencies, but they would know what the frequencies were to pick up the radio transmission. But of course, the um, Nazi uh, radio surveillance would not know what the frequencies were. Yeah, and that's how yeah Hitler ties his shoesies with little Nazis. So yeah, we did. Well, I was actually <laughs> wanting to say something real quick that mm-hmm. uh, you know there's been ghost news going on, and this is at the uh, Stanley Hotel in Colorado where they filmed The Shining at. There right. was actually an apparition or something. Um, somebody had recorded there were they in that uh, hotel i guess i was just reading as we were talking about the ghosts and all that that's right yes. that's right and i think uh, yep. yeah stephen king himself basically saw um he saw uh, the jack character standing in a hallway when yeah. he was there yeah. at the at the hotel and hotels themselves are just crazy they're you know is the shining hotel is what's the real name of that hotel do you remember Guys? stanley hotel the stanley hotel the overlook yes. hotel well, yeah. in the movie, it's the Overlook. So the right, Stanley, right. and is it still an open hotel? Can you still go there? It, it is, and you can. Um, it's up in the town of Estes Park. Cool. That's probably yeah. I just sent a link in here too. You can see there's a video attached where it shows the apparition. So, <clears throat> um, so actually, we're out of time. We are, and I want to tell you that next we week are. we have we have Peter Davenport as our guest. So oh, we Peter have, Davenport, and wow. I, you know, I I need to find out before the show. Does he in fact live in a silo? He does because he lives I really, in a missile silo. Because we know he bought one and was planning on moving into it, but that is just that is the one of the more interesting. I I think a silo would be another place for hauntings. You know, well, it's interesting you should say that because in yeah. the UK. There is a, a famous bunker just outside London, and it was one of those underground bases the government had. You know, they would uh, operate from there in the event of a nuclear attack. Right. And it is well known to be haunted. Oh, uh, yeah. I'll, yeah. I'll, I'll, I'll tell you. That was terrifying, yeah. Yeah. Uh, we had a, a writer we were working with on a magazine, and he told us a story of that his brother told him. His brother was in the hospital for an operation. And I, I forget which hospital, but it was, on, I believe, on the East Coast. And in the middle of the night, he hears this tray, you know, these hospital, rolling hospital carts crashing yeah. through the halls. And it wakes him up. He looks up and he sees somebody in white rolling one of these medicine trays down through the halls. Doesn't stop any place, just is rolling it through the halls. So... The next day, he goes to the nurse's station, and he says, hey, who was that person in the middle of the night that was rolling? Oh, the nurse says, she drops a name, he's dead. <laughs> and so he says, what do you mean? He says, oh, he was, an, he was an orderly who worked here his entire life, and he died. And he just runs through here every night. And they were so calm about it, he was, like, blown away. That's amazing. And yeah. that goes right to your story of... Sometimes ghosts in hospitals who have certain kinds of jobs, they don't know they're dead, and they just keep doing their jobs. Well, you can get into quite a routine, you know, and literally, uh, you know, you could live your life, I suppose, and not want it's like to the movie. It's like the movie The Sixth Sense, kind of. It is. It yeah. is. I yeah, mean, it's like, it's thank like you, the David story Letterman of Richard Nixon. Yeah. On Richard Nixon's birthday, if you go to his office in Loma Linda, what you hear is typing. Really? Yeah. That's one of yeah. the stories. Oh. Wow. What what you don't know is you're secretly being recorded. Yes. Yes. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And people have said that Nixon's 
is like a mist over his grave in California. Yeah. Well, I think we are, in fact. We are, in fact, out of touch. I want to thank Richard Estep. Good luck on your book. Um, I hope it does very well. Wait, and before I'm, you go, before you go, t- describe the nature and extent of your Star Wars collection real fast. Uh, well, I'm a, I'm a huge Lego uh, collector, so I have all of the Star Wars Lego, but probably the proudest nice, possession nice. I have is, is a series of storyboards from producer Robert Watts, who uh, his actual autographed copies of his of the Death Star trench run, nice. and then the Attack wow. on Hoth with the Imperial Walkers. Those are signed by him uh, oh, to me. I, I bought wow. those at auction. How much wow. did you pay for those? If you don't mind me. Uh, it was about uh, 900 bucks a pop. Whoa. Worth every penny. That's awesome. Yeah, or as I like to think of it, four hundred and fifty hours on an ambulance, oh. <laughs> or or your your grand your grandchildren's or, um, or at college some point education. one of your descendants yeah. will happily put this up on eBay and 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 you'll see and there'll be dollar signs over his you know, or her. Be, yeah. They'd bury me with that bill. No, no, I'd, when I die, <laughs> I'd go with me. Uh-oh. And and Richard, now that spring is coming, um, just remember that raspberries make the greatest hats for Lego characters. They fit I perfectly. Did, I did see that. They make great afros too. The way yeah, that they look. Great. Yeah, the blackberry. Yeah, blackberries. They're so super cool. Yeah, okay. uh, I'm gonna. Uh, I would get Legos. Just, I have one Lego because I have grandkids, but I have one Lego, which is cool. I'm glad to have one. Okay. Yeah. Okay, so we're out of time. So I want to thank our guest Richard Estep by his book, The uh, Haunted Hospitals. You can find it on Amazon. Probably find it on BNN. But Richard, do you have a website? Because I could not find one. I didn't yep. look real hard. I just didn't veer from Warwick's publicity. So could you give your website? Yep. website by, all means, by all means, come visit me at richardestep.net, and you can learn more about the world's most haunted hospitals and my other books. And your other books, yes, indeed. Thank you. And folks could probably, if you're at New Page Books, they could probably find you on Facebook, correct? That's correct. Okay, and good. on Twitter also. Okay. okay. I will fix this. So we will set all that up. And from the banks of beautiful Primrose Creek, our guest next week is Peter Davenport from the banks of beautiful Primrose Creek in downtown Solberry Village, Pennsylvania. On a warm spring night, we are your co-host, Bill. That's me and Nancy. Good night, everybody. Saying good night. Have a wonderful week. And we will see you next week on Future Theater on PSN Radio. 